Welcome to the Gospel Ministry of Exchange Church. Thank you for connecting with us for our Bible talk today, and please feel free to share these talks with others as well. It's our desire to connect people to Jesus and grow people in Jesus. To find out more about us, please visit our website, www.exchangechurch.org.au. We've been uh, started a series last week on Jonah, Grace in Hard Places, and I uh, hope you've read through the book of Jonah. It's only four chapters. I would encourage you to do that. It's a brilliant read. It's a great story. It's very captivating and enthralling. So we're going to continue on today in Jonah chapter 2, but just perhaps to help set the scene where we're going. I've been watching a few World War II documentaries lately with some of the horrific details of war. Uh, the terror and the fear in people's lives in these really hopeless situations confronted, uh, that they're confronted by. Uh, soldiers uh, who are crying before they go out to battle. These are you know, battle-hardened people but still actually cry before they go out to battle, often for their mothers, believe it or not. That's just amazing how often these soldiers would cry for their mothers and more so wanting to be saved from this horrendous war scene surrounded by so much death and carnage in that uh, theatre of war. Many also are crying out in prayer to God in these desperate circumstances as they face these uh, life and death situations, crying out to God in prayer. Today, as we journey with Jonah, we're going to find him in a very distressed position here, beyond belief really in, in many sense, in total darkness, spending three days and three nights inside a whale, he too is going to cry out for salvation. He too is going to cry out to be saved. So if you've got your Bibles, please go with me to Jonah chapter 1. We're going to start at verse 17, just the very last verse that sort of ties into chapter 2. Then we're going to read chapter 2 as well. Verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then... Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. At the roots of the mountains I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit. O Lord my God, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you in your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Lord, thank you. Thank you that we can gather this morning. Thank you for your word that is living and eternal. Thank you for your word that is timeless, that speaks into our hearts and lives. And Father, we pray today as we think about Jonah, we think about, we want to see, Lord, what you are showing us here, particularly in salvation is yours alone and what spins out of that through prayer from Jonah. 
Uh, please help us now, we pray, Holy Spirit, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we really do pick up again this powerful and captivating story that illustrates so many truths of God and our human existence at the same time. Uh, we estimate that Jonah here, this book of Jonah in the Old Testament, was recorded around about 750 BC. So that's about nearly 3,000 years ago. It's an old story, but have a guess what? The Word of God is timeless. As I said before, it actually speaks into our hearts today, right where we're at here in 2023. Uh, here's where we're going to head today. Salvation belongs to the Lord alone, as we think about that great line that uh, Jonah said for us. And what we're going to do here, we're going to look at this chapter here with sort of five questions and answer five questions out of that that will actually help us uh, plot our path here as we go through Jonah chapter 2. Firstly, what is Jonah doing? Rhetorical question, I don't need anybody to answer at this stage. Uh, we are repeatedly told in chapter 1 that Jonah is running from the presence of the Lord. He's fleeing the presence of the Lord. God commands Jonah to go to the great city of Nineveh and to call out God's judgment upon it. The evil has risen up before God. God's called Jonah, go to Nineveh and call out this great evil that they have done. Well, what does Jonah do? Jonah disobeys God and now runs from his presence. He boards a ship in Joppa. This ship is heading from uh, heading to Tarshish, so the opposite direction to Nineveh. He goes the opposite way. What does God do? We saw last week, God sends a hurricane. We explored that in detail there last week. God sends a, or a huge tempest or a hurricane upon the ship. And after much effort to save Jonah and the ship, the captain decides to do what Jonah says, which will calm the storm, that is to throw me overboard into this boiling sea. And that's exactly what the captain does. Jonah is hurled into the boiling sea and the sea goes immediately calm. But I'm thinking what's going to happen there is Jonah being thrown into perhaps a watery grave. Can you imagine what Jonah was thinking as he's as it were, flying through the air and about to hit that water and begin to sink into that. Just imagine. Well, within seconds, God sends a large fish, possibly a whale, the Bible doesn't say a whale, but possibly a whale. It opens its mouth and swallows Jonah whole. Jonah now finds himself in the stomach of a whale and he's still alive. Imagine what Jonah's thinking now. He's already thinking, well, what the heck? You know, maybe did he bob up because the sea went calm and all of a sudden this fish, whale, comes by and swallows him. Well, let's set the scene here for what Jonah's doing. He's running away from God. He's fleeing from the presence of God. Jonah does not want to submit to God's commands or ways. He just wants to do life his way and not the way God has actually called him to at this particular time. So what's he doing? He's running. He's running away from God. What's Jonah experiencing here as we think about uh, this chapter? Well, it's possibly started off okay on, as he sailed out of Joppa. It might have been a nice sunny day and there's a beautiful blue ocean there out before him. And there's nothing like getting a bit of fresh sea air in your lungs and making you feel good. But things went pretty bad pretty quick for Jonah from there. And it reads like, if we follow the story here, it reads like he's been in the belly of this whale for three days... And now we find him praying. Because if you go back to verse 17 there, he was in the belly of the whale three days and three nights, and then 
Jonah pray. So it didn't actually pray as soon as he landed in the belly of the whale. He's actually had a bit of time to think about this. Let's look carefully here at some of the words that Jonah uses in this prayer because that lets us know what was he experiencing at this particular time. Have a look in verse 2. He says there, I called out to the Lord out of my happiness. No, not quite. Out of my distress. And he answered me out of the belly of Sheol, I cried. And you heard my voice, distress. It's pretty natural, isn't it? If you've just been thrown into the sea and this massive fish, whale has just swallowed you, he feels distressed, pressed, squeezed by the pressures of his circumstance. The belly of Sheol. What does Jonah mean when he says that? Well, the word Sheol means grave, the place of the dead. He's thinking, well, this is my grave. This is where I'm going to die. It's all over. He goes on, we see in verse 3, he's got more to tell us about. Verse 3 says, for you. So the you there is God when he's saying that. For God, you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves, God, all your billows, God, passed over me. Jonah understands this here, that this is God's discipline that he's facing here for rebelling against God and running away and doing his own thing. This is your seas, this is your waves, this is your billows. God, you are disciplining me for my disobedience from failing to do what you asked me to do. These are your waves. Jonah's actually beginning to experience that. He's understanding that. This is God, this is your providence, this is your sovereignty working over my life. And then in verse 4 he says this, Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. I find this verse really interesting. Really interesting. I feel driven away or cut off from your presence or your sight. Hello Jonah, isn't that what you wanted? Didn't he want to actually flee from the presence of the Lord? And here he is now, I feel like I've been cut off from you. I'm thinking, yeah, well, that's exactly what you wanted, didn't you? Let's go on. Let's discover some more about him. Verses 5 and 6. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. The weeds were wrapped around my head. Maybe the whales swallowed a bit of kelp or something. I don't know. At the roots of the mountains, I went down, wrap uh, out my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet, you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. How's he feeling? He's feeling swamped and overwhelmed. He feels like his life, as it were, is ebbing away from him, trapped in the belly of this whale. He feels like he's in this deep, dark pit. Maybe it's a pit of despair and depression that he's feeling at this time, contemplating his circumstances and his situation here. Let's go into verse 7. Let's see what else Jonah's experiencing here. Then he says this in verse 7, When my life was fainting away, praise God he remembers the Lord, but prior to this, when my life was fainting away, in other words, I feel like I'm losing consciousness. I feel like I'm losing touch with reality. I feel like I'm just losing touch with life. When my life was fainting away, the last moments of my life seem to be slipping out of my grasp. This is it. What's Jonah had? He's had three days and three nights in the darkness of this whale's belly to contemplate where he's at. 
And if we just look at his experience there, it's not good. It's not a good place to be for Jonah at this time. Possibly he's thought about everything over that time. He's gone back and he's thought about all the good times that he's experienced in life. And maybe he's relived all those bad days again as well and those bad experiences. He's had a lot of time there to sit and think. He remembered the connection that he once had with God. I seem to be so close with you, um, Lord. But now he's walked away from that in rebellion. Where is Jonah's position? He feels utterly helpless and hopeless. And really, that's where you are, in the belly of a whale, maybe off or 600 metres below the surface of the water. How can you be saved from that situation? What is God doing here? Well, God's giving Jonah exactly what he wanted. You wanted to flee from my presence, as it were? Jonah wanted to run from God's presence, so now God is giving a taste of what's that like. And if Jonah were here standing beside me today to say, what's it like to run from the presence of the Lord? I reckon he'd say this, it's not good. It is not good to run from the presence of the Lord. It is not a good place to be, as we see reflected there through his prayer. What does Jonah deserve? Not directly answered here in the text, but what does Jonah deserve as we think about what's happened here through chapter 1 and chapter 2? What does he deserve for all of his actions? God asks him and calls him to go and to carry out this command to speak this word in Nineveh. Well, what would you do if you were God? What would you do to a person who you've fed, who you've clothed all their life and now flat out thumbs their nose against you and just goes the opposite way of what you've asked him to do? What would you do if you were God? We'd probably cut them off, wouldn't we? We'd probably just write them out of our will. We'd probably say, that's it. God's given Jonah every breath that he's ever taken. God's given Jonah every mouthful of food he's ever had. God's given Jonah every drink of water that he's ever had. God's given Jonah every beat of his heart for every moment of his life. Shouldn't God just cut him loose? Shouldn't God just actually say, that's it? Just let him drown. Actually, just let him be consumed, eaten and consumed by this whale. And if God did that, God would be completely just in those actions towards Jonah. That's what Jonah deserves, really, if we think about that situation where he's at. Now, I don't say that from any perspective that I'm perfect and I'd be any different to Jonah. I'd be no different to Jonah. I deserve exactly what Jonah should deserve in this situation. That's what he deserves. He deserves to be just cut loose all over. Fourth question, what does Jonah receive though? What does he receive in this? Well, Jonah receives what he doesn't deserve. Jonah gets what he shouldn't get. What does Jonah receive? Jonah receives grace. Jonah receives compassion. And ultimately, Jonah receives salvation in this chapter. God hasn't and God won't give up on Jonah. God will not turn his back on Jonah. Despite all of Jonah's rebellious ways before God and his immediate action to run in the opposite direction to Nineveh, God's not going to give up on Jonah. God's going to use all of his means, and we've seen some of those means already through a storm and through a whale, God's going to use all of his means here to show himself loving and compassionate to Jonah 
in a really, really difficult and challenging place. God doesn't let Jonah die at this time. God shows grace to rescue and to save Jonah. That's what he gets. Not what he deserves. That's what he gets, though. So how does Jonah then receive this grace? How does he receive this? How does he actually come to his senses here and actually begin to um, comprehend what's going on? Well, as Jonah's being hurled into the ocean, he's probably thinking, this is it, I'm going to die. As Jonah's swallowed by a whale, he's probably thinking, this is it, I'm going to die. If the ocean didn't kill me, surely the whale will kill me. And just imagine again what's going through Jonah's mind an hour or so after he's been in the whale's stomach. You would sort of be waiting for the oxygen to run out or just how much longer is this going to take? Why haven't I died? Why am I still able to breathe or actually live inside the... Imagine what's going through Jonah's mind at that particular time. God gives Jonah, as I said, three days and three nights to stop and just think about life in the pitch dark of the belly of that whale, to stop and think about who God is, to stop and think about who Jonah is and what Jonah's done and his response to God over these past days and weeks. It's a long time to contemplate there what's happening. And then what does Jonah do? In verse 7 we're told that as his life is fainting away, he remembers the Lord. That's God's grace given to Jonah right there. God again sparks within Jonah's mind, I'm here. I'm still here, Jonah. You can imagine, he he might think, what have I done? This is Jonah's thoughts now, what have I done? How could I forget the Lord, my creator, who's been so good to me? What have I done? How could I do this? What was I thinking that I could actually run away from him? What have I done? What does he do to receive this grace? He simply cries out to God in prayer in the pitch darkness of this whale's belly. And he says there in verse 2, I called out to the Lord. I cried out to the Lord out of my distress. And what did he do? He answered me. He answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, out of the grave, I thought this was my grave, I cried. And you, God, heard my voice right there and right then. God heard and he answered. Jonah's utterly helpless. He's hopeless. He cannot do anything to save himself. He can't command that whale to do one single thing. He's in the belly of a whale at the bottom of the sea, at the roots of the mountains, when the mountains start. Jonah's got one hope, one hope, and that's God. There is no other hope other than that. So through simply praying or crying out to the Lord, the Lord answers Jonah and reveals his saving presence to him right there and then in that hopeless and helpless situation. And what a beautiful prayer as you begin to think through that in that desperate situation. He reaches out in prayer and God answers at that time. It's a picture of a very compassionate and glorious God who saves those who cannot save themselves. Because that's exactly where Jonah is. He can't do a thing to rescue himself. God does it for him. So there's the story, as it were, up to this point, being answered through those five questions. 
But there's a couple of really big takeaway points here I think we've got to see out of this that God's trying to communicate to us as we read here uh, the book of Jonah, particularly in chapter 2. Firstly, this chapter here that we're looking at is actually, it's dripping with the gospel all over it. It's actually marinated with the good news of Christ all over this chapter right here. Look at the last words there of Jonah that he says in verse 9. What's he say there? He's come to this conclusion. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Jonah's experienced that firsthand. He couldn't save himself. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Where are you looking for a saviour? Where are you looking for a saviour? Because everybody's looking for a saviour. Every single person is looking for a saviour to save you from something. Here's some possible examples that may connect. I want somebody or I want something to save me from being fearful about life. I live trapped in fear and I live trapped in anxiety. I just want to be safe and I'm too scared sometimes to even leave my home. I want to be saved from that. Then what do we do? We may build a life of being really health conscious so I don't attract any diseases and I'm not going to take any risks because I'm, I'm fearful of risks and I want to keep to myself because I'm fearful of other people and I don't trust too many people because they let me down. I get anxious about that. We might build a life like that, but then something like coronavirus comes along and just blows all that apart. All of my fears, all of my anxieties are just ramped up again. I can't find that thing to save me from fear and anxiety. Or it's this, maybe I just want somebody or something to save me from loneliness and feeling left out in life. So what do I do? I dream about prince, my prince or princess coming to sweep me off my feet. I dream about somebody that he or she will complete my life and I'll never feel lonely again. If I can just find that person, they'll complete me. They'll save me from this life of loneliness and isolation. So what do we do? We may get into a relationship and think we meet Prince Charming or Princess Charming, only to find out, ah... They've got issues as well. So I might have solved one grief, but now I've got some other griefs. That didn't really work. I didn't get saved from feeling lonely because I thought if I just found this person, that would complete me. Everybody's looking for something to save them. Or I want somebody or something to save me from despair and boredom. I just can't bear to live on my own. I can't bear to live in this sort of isolation and and this boredom that overwhelms me. So I feel frustrated. I feel empty. I have this longing for something, as it were, to take away this boredom, this, this feeling of emptiness on the inside of me. So what do I do? I hunger maybe for new adventures. I hunger for a new type of excitement. I hunger for a new type of entertainment that will actually maybe take this boredom away. I might even pursue a new career that'll have more money, that'll be able to buy me more things that I can invest my time into to try and satisfy this boredom or this sort of, you know, this frustration within me. That'll save me. And what do I find? Those things don't last. It's like putting a band-aid over that frustration or a band-aid over that disappointment or a band-aid over that feeling um, 
empty on the inside. While the sun shines, it glistens and it shines for a while, this thing, but then it loses its luster and it doesn't save me. Here's what Jonah discovered afresh in the belly of the whale tied into this. Have a look in verse 8. He says this, Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. Vain idols are the things that we look to in this world to save us. Vain idols are the things that motivate us every day to get out of bed, as it were, and pursue the things of this world, thinking that we'll find meaning in life in that thing. It's something that actually becomes central or primary in my life. This is what's going to save me. Jonah spent three days in the whale here where everything's been stripped away. Imagine if that was today. Your smartphone would be no good, wouldn't it? There'd be no reception down there in the bottom of the ocean. Like A lot of people think they, they need their smartphone. Everything's stripped away from Jonah at this point, And he's discovered what these idols are. These things that he thought might save him in this world. He's discovered they're vain. They're vain. In other words, they're empty and they're false. All these things that I clamour after, all these things that I think will save me, all these things that I think that will complete me and make me whole. He realises they're vain, they're false, they're empty. They promise much, but they deliver little. That's what Jonah discovers here in the belly of the whale. And this is what happens when we do this, when we look to things outside of God to be the central part of who I am and to be what life's all about. He says there that we forsake or we ignore his steadfast love of grace towards us. Those who pursue vain idols forsake the steadfast love of the Lord. Jonah's learnt that through three days and three nights in the belly of this whale. He's remembered that is Jonah, we're created by the Lord for the Lord. That's what life's about for us. It's by the Lord, for the Lord, to live in him. But because of sin, we actually chase down all these other things in this world to, to live for and satisfy us, but they leave us empty. They leave us hollow. Instead of loving the creator, we actually begin to love the created things. And we forget the creator who's actually put them there for our enjoyment, but also to lead us to him in that way as well. Jonah remembered again that salvation belongs to the Lord. He's the only one who can truly save us in this world. Now the disciples, the disciples of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, they got that when they come to know who Jesus was. And certainly when Jesus revealed himself through the cross as their saviour, they really got that then, that he is the saviour. And they're telling everyone about it, as Jared read for us before, and they get to this long section where they're talking to the religious high priest, and they say this in verse 12 of chapter 4 of Acts. And there is salvation. There is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. It is Christ alone who saves us. It is Christ alone who completes us. It is Christ alone who gives us the life that we are truly longing for. It took Jonah three days and three nights in the belly of the whale to come to that. But what a glorious thing to come to. Salvation is the Lord alone. Here's the second massive takeaway in this passage here. And it's really simple. It's prayer. This whole chapter is nearly a prayer here. What did Jonah do after three days of reflection? 
He prayed. He prayed. What is prayer? Prayer is a pipeline of God's grace. God has providentially ordained that as we pray, as we open ourselves up to him in genuine, humble, heartfelt prayer, he sends his grace through the pipeline into our lives, strengthens us, equips us, encourages us. God delights in our praying. The sovereign of the universe delights in our prayers. He commands us to pray. It's a good command. It's talking to the Lord. God reveals himself to us when we pray. That's a powerful and wonderful thing. Think about this. What did Jonah experience when he prayed? What did he experience when he actually began to cry out to the Lord in the belly of the swell? He experienced here a revelation of God's grace as the Lord who saves. Maybe for the first three days and three nights, he had no idea. He, just, he was just lost in misery. But then, as you remember the Lord and then cried out to the Lord, then that revelation of God's saving grace flooded and filled his heart. And what did it do when he actually opened himself up in prayer? It renewed his faith. It renewed his strength. It renewed his confidence in the Lord right in the middle of this dire circumstance. He found grace in a really, really hard place, right there in the bottom of the ocean in the belly of a whale. Here's what's really interesting about Jonah as we reflect upon this guy uh, through this book. There's no recorded prayer of his before going into the whale. Even when the ship's potentially going down, Jonah wasn't praying. He was fast asleep as we saw that last week. It wasn't until he got to this absolute need for God that he prayed. Now, I would have thought, maybe you need God when you walk on the plank there, Jonah, but no, even then, he, there's no recorded prayer. Sometimes, this is what God will do with us when he takes us into hard places. God will renew a spirit of prayer within us again. Sometimes God knows, or not sometimes, God knows exactly what's required in our lives to revive prayer in our hearts. And he will bring about whatever's required in those circumstances, which can be sometimes really hard places, that the Lord will take us into that hard place to revive a spirit of prayer within our hearts again. Now, here's the sad reality of that, though, as we think about that. When that desperate need passes over us or when that hard place we're in sort of passes by, it's amazing how often we just leave off praying again. While we're in the hard place, Lord, please, please, Lord, please. And the hard place passes by, good, I'm right to go again. And we just, just leave off praying. Living in our Western culture of comfort and ease is both a blessing and a curse, particularly when it comes to prayer. The blessing is, living in this Western culture, we've got freedom to pray. We've got freedom. We're going to gather this afternoon for corporate prayer at 5pm and we're going to pray about a whole range of things to, to see God grow in our hearts and see God grow through the, um, the area where we live in. We can just drive here and turn up and pray. It's really easy. You just come and you do it. No problems at all. It's, it's a blessing that we can do that so freely. But the curse is that Western culture is, is engulfed by comfort and it's engulfed by ease. We are saturated in comfort and in ease. 
the Western culture is all geared for your comfort. Western culture is all geared for your ease. I'm not saying that's wrong. It's good to be comfortable. It's good to have that freedom and ease. But it can also be a curse. And the curse is this. The natural byproduct of comfort and ease is apathy. We just become apathetic. It's so comfortable. It's so easy. We just become really relaxed. Apathetic. Apathy breeds prayerlessness. Apathy breeds we don't pray. We've got everything else we need. We don't need to pray. The pantry's full of food. The car's got petrol in it. I've got a job to go to. What have I got to pray for? This is what comfort and ease breeds. It breeds apathy and that breeds prayerlessness. Reading a book uh, a few years ago, Nick Ripkin's book, The Insanity of God. I would encourage every single person to get a copy of that book. It is unbelievably fantastic. It'll bring you to tears and it'll challenge and stir your heart at the same time. And he visited persecuted believers all over the world. And one of the things that Nick Ripkin was deeply challenged and convicted by was how much they prayed. He gathered with the Chinese believers in China. Hundreds, thousands would gather. Now, we're going to gather for an hour or so this afternoon, but they would gather sometimes for three and four hours and pray and pray and pray and pray. Now, perhaps it was persecution that drove them to pray. I don't know. But he was just convicted by the way these people gather and so heartfelt pray, not only for themselves, but they're praying for people all over the world. Convicted by it. But you see, in the West, we stop going to the pipeline of God's grace through prayer and then two things result from that. When we stop going here and receiving of God's grace through prayer, there's two things. The first thing is we become weak believers when we don't pray. We become weak believers when we don't pray. We actually become sitting ducks for the lies of the devil. And we wonder why we get knocked over by the smallest challenges of life and we fall in a heap sometimes. Why is that? Because we're not coming to God's pipeline of grace through prayer. We actually become weak believers, anemic believers through lack of prayer. The second thing to happen is this. When we stop coming to the pipeline of God's grace through prayer, we actually get a shrinking vision of who God is. God becomes smaller and smaller and smaller within us. That's a disastrous result here of prayerlessness. That's what happened to Jonah. His vision of God got so small that he thought, I'm just not going to do what God tells me to do. Jonah didn't see God as great and huge and sovereign. Jonah saw God as just someone he could manipulate or control somewhere. Gets a small vision of God when we fail to pray. What does prayer do? Prayer helps to grow a big vision of God. Prayer helps to see God grow in our hearts and grow in our lives. And prayer grows a bigger vision here of this beautiful picture of relationship with God. That's the, that's the wonderful thing about prayer. Think about Jonah. God was always with him in the whale. It wasn't until Jonah came to his senses and then all of a sudden called out to God in prayer that he had this powerful opportunity to speak with God now in relationship and to deepen that relationship through prayer. This relationship building exercise of praying. 
And that's what heartfelt prayer does. It unites our heart to God in a deeper way. I'll assure you that if you invest in it, you will see your heart be united to God in a much deeper way. We sense a nearness of his presence with us in more powerful ways as we pray. That's what Jonah experienced. It comes through prayer. We experience the Father heart of God, his comfort and hope in our lives as we pray. As we build this beautiful personal relationship with the Lord of the heavens and the earth through prayer. Simply speaking to the Lord. What's your habit of prayer looking like? Have you forgotten the last time you prayed in a regular fashion? Can you remember the last time you prayed? other than say grace for a meal. See, today God's using this story of Jonah's salvation to awaken here a spirit of prayer within us again. Look what it did in Jonah's life. God doesn't come in condemnation to condemn us about our prayerlessness or about our prayer life. God's spirit comes today to work through this word to convict us, sure, and to encourage us to drink, to drink freely from God's pipeline of grace through prayer and to make it a regular habit, not just when I'm in hard places, but also at all times to keep my vision of God growing in this beautiful relationship I can have with him through prayer. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again that uh, we are able to come to Jonah chapter 2 and we see the work that you are doing in Jonah's heart and life, Lord. In the belly of a whale, the bottom of the ocean, Jonah is utterly helpless and hopeless. God, you have organised and ordained all of these circumstances in Jonah's life. You've brought Jonah into a really, really, really hard place. But we thank you, God, that you are revealing your compassion and grace to Jonah right there and then. Father, we thank you that you are a prayer answering God. In the pain of our lives, in the challenge of our lives, we can simply cry out to you. And Lord, you give that grace to comfort us, to strengthen us, and even begin to lead us forward out of the situation that we're in. God, we thank you for prayer. We thank you, God, that it's as simple as speaking to you. God, I pray, please not let the devil rob us of this grace. Please not let apathy rob us of this grace. Help us, Lord, to make use of these habits of grace you've given to us, to drink freely and deeply from your grace through prayer and to get a bigger vision of who you are to see you honoured and glorified in our lives. Father, we thank you for this avenue of prayer and ask and pray that now in Jesus' name. Amen. We trust you have enjoyed our Bible talk from today. If you have any questions or comments from today's talk, please feel free to contact us at info at exchangechurch.org.au. Also, we love to welcome new people at Exchange Church in person, so consider yourself invited to be with us.